1: Today, we're speaking with David Mandel. Hey, David, how are you?
0: Hey, good to be here.
1: It's great to talk to you, David, about actually probably one of my favorite topics, which is emerging companies. David is the managing partner of Emerging Ventures Fund. He has an incredible background in the startup and digital technology space, and we'll talk to him about what emerging ventures fund is doing right now but before we get there david tell us a little bit about yourself and your career
0: sure thank you um the short version is uh local southern california from you know most of my life i'm born in new york but been in la most of my life and um went to college here was focused on applied math and computer science was in a graduate program uh, dropped out of the doctorate because it was a bad time to be in academics, from my perspective back then. It's before math and the internet were cool uh, or mm-hmm. really didn't almost exist. And uh, you now it's even before Windows, if you can see how so it's a completely different era. And uh, went into business, um, built and exited four separate mid to large businesses around insurance and finance each were separate uh, mostly in the underwriting space they were you know risk bearing entities more than sales organizations they were underwriting kind of businesses so i've learned to be a good underwriter and you know not get used to saying no and figuring out what we want to say yes to and realize yeah. that it's about risk management and not just about sales. It's about saying yes to the right things. And so I spent my whole life as an underwriter building businesses, was fortunate to exit them at the right times. Um, Fast forward all the way to around 2011 or so is where I had at that time still two large businesses, a auto lender and an insurance, auto insurance underwriter. We're actually the second largest at the time, non-standard auto insurance underwriter in California it was Alliance United Insurance Company. And, uh, things were going pretty well in business, but around 2011, 2012, I started to see, uh, technology vendors come in that weren't the same old technology vendors and data providers. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't just the Experian and you know so forth of the world. It was um, these new breed of what apparently were tech startups, which I wasn't even very much aware of at the time, coming mm-hmm. in with truly innovative kind of products and starting to seem to be using what would be the machine learning AI kind of technologies, which I wasn't aware that were there now. So what I couldn't mm-hmm. do 30 years earlier and wanted to work in, we're now there. and. Yeah. It was interesting to see those products they came to us with and it got me really intrigued. And it's like, I want to work on that. That's interesting. <laughs> what they're doing is more interesting than what I'm doing. Yeah. And I just kind of went all in on that. I started to get involved, um, go to conferences, go to events, uh, talk to funds in that space, talk to the actually invest in some funds that were investing in technology startups. Uh, and decided after some time that that's what I want to do. That's more interesting than I'm doing. I got investment bankers involved, uh, did a process to exit my businesses. It took a while to do all that and uh, continue to learn more and angel invest in the meanwhile. By 2014, I had the exit from the businesses and was... um, able to then focus full time on angel investing. So it was actually a deliberate process. It wasn't like I retired and then figure out what am I going to do now. Yeah, what
1: a, exactly so you you literally decided I want to get into this, I want to want to participate in all of these companies in this new emerging space with machine learning, AI, which is very exciting. And that's led into the creation of emerging venture, the emerging ventures fund. Do you call it the emerging ventures fund? Does it go by EV or do you, so, what
0: do you prefer? Uh, yeah, our website is emerging.bc. So we're Emerging Venture Capital. Um, the funds themselves, they're each closed in funds. They each have their their own you know, legal name. So there's Emerging Ventures Fund 1LP, Emerging Ventures Fund 2LP, which are Delaware limited partnerships that are making the investments. And um, uh, myself and my partner are the general partners of the fund. I have a partner, Bennett Cole, who's one of my, former investment banker. who so helped me exit mm-hmm. uh, one of my companies. And uh, when I was, he came in as an LP in my fund one, when I announced fund two, uh, he announced that he's retiring from investment banking and was really excited about what I'm doing and kind of wanted to do more of what I'm doing. And I invited him to be my partner, which was a great awesome. help with, uh, yeah, he's, amazing when it comes to you know due diligence and all those kind of things Uh, so i can focus on spending my day talking to these amazing you know genius founders inventing the future
1: well i mean i love that david tell me a little bit about kind of your thesis as a fund i mean how do you guys approach the market what areas are you really keen on
0: so now, I spent six or seven years before starting to fund just angel investing. I was doing it with my own money, with my holding company, in a sense as a family office. I made before before I started to fund. I've made over five hundred investments. So I kind of through that refined what I like and don't like, and you know, kind of learned on my own dime before I ventured to take other people's money. And uh, the idea of the fund was to do more of the same in a disciplined manner and with slightly larger checks by pulling the money of, you know, 30 or so LPs uh, so we can write bigger checks than I write as an angel. Um, the focus is early stage technology startups that are either using current technology to solve a railroad problem or improve a process or the ones who are literally inventing the next generation of emerging tech. Uh, so wow. about 80% is traditional tech startups that are, you know, say using AI or blockchain or any current tech to improve usually a business process in one vertical or another. And uh, then about 20% are a little more the moonshots where they're doing something new. And that's usually tech coming out of universities, whether it's you know, maybe wireless energy transmission, maybe some kind of synthetic biology where they're creating a biodegradable plastic out of organic waste. And those are actually live examples that are both in Fund one, they're on our website. So those are, you know, things that we actually invested in, they're both doing very well. Um, But those are more the exceptions than the norm. The norm is, you know, uh, a a startup that is using AI to solve a real world problem. And it could be in any vertical, you know, from agriculture to enterprise business. You know, it's like when you think of robots, we have literal physical robots that are doing something in like agriculture, or we can have you know, virtual robots that are helping and uh, accounting, doing work that used to be done by humans and making the humans more efficient.
1: Cool, and I mean, when you get involved with a company, it sounds to me that you're getting in very early. Are you, you know, what are we talking about in terms of like uh, involvement? Are you leading rounds? Is it uh, what? What's the size of checks for these types of right. things?
0: That, that's a good question. So to back up one step from that, um, I, we look at over five hundred startups a month on a particular mm-hmm. month. A lot of that is a combination of inbound from all the referrals from everyone, the whole network we built, as well as attending all the events. I'm a big believer in accelerator programs. They seem to be the current best way for startups to get ready to be venture backable. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have connections with many, many uh, accelerator programs. And we spend a lot of our time both helping them during the program and taking like office mentoring hours and things like that, investor hours, as well as attending their demo days, uh, although we like to get in before. That. So a lot of our startups are in some kind of program and we filter them to the ones who are on thesis to us. It's like, we're not going to invest in the next, you know, direct-to-consumer men's underwear brand. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen three of those recently. It's funny, but that, you know, it's great. There's a lot of great VCs that help e-commerce brands do their thing. I can't add value there. And it's not, I'm focusing on tech. I'm curious. Now
1: you have me curious. I'm curious what the (laughs) innovation is there. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: and it's really always an e-commerce plane. (laughs) It's about optimizing their client acquisition costs versus the lifetime value and it's digital marketing and so forth. And and it's great. And others can help them better than I can. Uh, So, So to fast forward, the the rounds we're coming into are usually either pre-seed or seed round. We do have very specific requirements. We don't invest in ideas. Uh, I have Mm -hmm. to turn down, the most common reason I'm turning people down is telling them they're just a little too early for us. And that's kind of like, you know, I can have that on a recorded button all day long, unfortunately, Um, and I send a lot of people to Accelerator programs to take the next step so they can come back to us later. But they need to have, some kind of traction, you know, hopefully an MVP, a minimum viable product, uh, add some traction, some proof that people are willing to pay for what they're making and they know how to sell it to the right people. Both very yeah. important. You know, having a technical founder is great, but knowing that they can also sell what they built is is super important. And we're looking at those that will be venture backable in the future. That they can go on and graduate from us. So we're participating in rounds that are, you know, they're raising anywhere from a half a million to usually 3 million uh, earlier stage um, and giving away, you know, maybe 15% or so of the company at that point for that raise. And where our check is typically about 150,000 within that, you know, we write from 100 to 250 from our current fund. Yeah. Um, And then, the idea is they can move on and hopefully like, you know, 12, 18 months later raise say 5 million on 30 or something like that. So we need to put on the hat of a series ABC and say, what would they need to look like in 18 months in order yeah. for me to write them that $5 million check. And That's I- That's
1: really interesting. I,
0: and then we reverse engineer the underwriting saying, okay, what <laughs> would it take for them to get there? What's the likelihood that they can get there? You know, is this the team that can do it and do they have the right, and with this money, what it, can they get there? And if the answer isn't a solid yes to that, then no matter how much I like the people and the idea and everything else, I can't invest from the fund because yeah. it's just not, it's not the risk reward profile we're looking for. Yeah. And ideally we're looking for companies that can have at least a 10X exit in five to seven years. So you know, if we're investing at a 10 million valuation today with dilution, I need them to be able to, I need to see a clear path to how they become at least a $200 million company, uh, the minimum threshold in five to seven years. Um, and you know, so those are all the things we're looking for, because our general assumption, like our fund two is gonna make about you know, 65 to 70 investments, maybe as many as 75 investments over a two and a half year period. We've already made 38 from fund two, we're in the middle of fund two. We're assuming that as many as half will fail. Right. And you know, traditionally from my portfolio, only about 13, 14% have failed, but I'm assuming that as much as half fail eventually and half have a good exit. And when they have that good exit, I'm assuming it will average somewhere around the 10X. You know, there'll be some that are slightly under that exit early. There'll be some that are home runs. I'm not counting on unicorns. I'm not just unicorn hunting. I'm not looking for just billion dollar exits and 100X exits. Uh, I'm okay with an average of 10X exit because that just works for everybody. That means... If half failed and half are 10x, we averaged to 5x. And even after fees and overhead, that's not a bad return to everybody involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit, because David, I mean, the last couple of years during the pandemic, there was a lot of activity in the early stage space. Uh, There was a lot of talk about how there were companies getting relatively frothy valuations, Now we're kind of coming out of the pandemic and seeming to be moving into a new phase. And just be curious, kind of what you're seeing in the marketplace today in terms of that early stage uh, Uh investment.
0: Yeah, Good question. And yeah, the first like six weeks of the pandemic and uh, March of 2020 or so, everything froze. And, that, yeah. and everyone was panicking and the public markets crashed. And, you know, about six, eight weeks later, everything was back to normal. We all figured out very quickly that we can do what we're doing on Zoom. Pitch events all went to 100% Zoom uh, and it went back to business as usual. And in fact, it was a lot more efficient. I can sit at my desk here as I am now in front of Zoom, as I'm now doing probably eight hours a day. And, uh, you know, I can have two to three times as many meetings per day without having to get in my car and drive. Right. So, and I can attend, I, I can say, attest
1: to that. You know, David, I'm, um, I'm, I'm in our New York offices today and I've been here since the beginning of the week and just getting around New York city. I'd forgotten how long it takes to get from meeting to meeting in this town. <laughs>
0: <You right. know? laughs> yeah. I mean, not having the drives made it more efficient. I'm mean, as far as building relationships. I'm finally now meeting in person. One by one, some founders I invested in, say, 18, 24 months ago, uh, and they happen to be coming to LA or we happen to both be uh, going to be in a certain place, say, in Florida or Texas and an event. And we're like, oh, I'll be there. Let's meet up. And then I get to have coffee with them and get to meet the person, right. uh, talk about family and all that, doing business by Zoom doesn't build relationships as well, it stays colder. That's the big downside. Uh, But yeah, valuations continue to, there's a lot of money chasing the space. A lot of big funds had big money to deploy and they were trying to get in, there's very competitive for the series A's and B's. So they were trying to get in earlier. So they were lowering their standards for series A and even doing a lot of seed rounds. There's some very large seed round funds that were raised. Uh, the lines are getting blurry, uh, but that was mostly chasing Silicon Valley and a lot of the potential unicorns. Uh, I've, I've kind of branded myself. I didn't tell the whole story, but during my eight years of doing angel investing, after a while, I got very disillusioned with Silicon Valley. I saw it. And uh, back then, like four years ago, when I put, published that thesis and started a fund that was anti-Silicon Valley, it wasn't as popular. During the pandemic, that whole mm-hmm. exodus from Silicon Valley happened anyway. The rest started to realize that, hey, there's tech in L.A., there's tech in Miami, there's tech in Texas and yeah. tech in Boston. We don't have to be in the Bay Area. Uh, now it's kind, of, it's kind of common knowledge that tech, it's spread out. Uh, it's no longer just Silicon Valley. Uh, The accelerator programs have been virtual, so they're taking startups globally, the whole landscape has changed. But I had that thesis four years ago where uh, I was branding myself as an anti-Silicon Valley VC. I have a follow-up question
1: on, you said that one of the areas that you get a lot of your startups and your investments from is the accelerator space. And I completely see the quality of some of those companies. Uh, However, I... I'm curious as to how you look at the valuations of some of those businesses. Uh-huh. I my experience with a lot of very promising accelerator companies is that they the valuations they get coming out of those programs are too high and uh, in in the sense that they almost burden the startup uh-huh. With 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 this ridiculous valuation that they're never going to achieve before they burn through their money. Right. And and I, I'm just curious yeah. your take so on that.
0: That's a great observation. And that was my observation on some of the Silicon Valley programs. Uh, you know, I'm and I guess it's okay to mention names because Y Combinator is getting a lot of heat for that. They're the the leader in that space. And yeah, I, I attend the demo day virtually. You know, I have the list, but I am not hunting yc com- i will not invest from our fund typically at a yc company right at or after demo date. yet we have a lot of yc companies often we're getting them before they went into the program while they're in the program early on um, right. which changed again now with the new model that's another story or sometimes like you were saying they flaunt up uh, you know uh 18 24 months later when they ran out of that initial money and didn't hit their milestones weren't able to lot- rate a large big round, had a- pivot maybe, and now they're kind of resetting into reality and they're at a more reasonable valuation and they're more humble themselves and they're acting like a normal startup and yet they're more mature in some way. So
1: yeah, um, I I can't tell you how many startups that, you know, young young folks that I've met from some of those places and they're very proud and they should be that they get these exciting valuations, but I've often counseled them that perhaps they need to be thoughtful about that. That you know, yeah, that's why if they if they don't have any client, if they don't have any customers, if they, you know, literally have an MVP that's not right. gonna be a scaled yeah, rollout. A higher, you know?
0: higher valuation isn't always best for the for the exactly. Not and not necessarily
1: Exactly, not necessarily founder friendly, right?
0: So yeah, but uh, you know they're not the only program in town. There's hundreds of programs uh, throughout the country, and depending on the industry they're in, uh, even the YC, you know, depending on the industry, valuations aren't always exorbitant. And yeah. you know, I am kind of a value investor by heart. Uh, 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 we find startups that have great potential, uh aren't necessarily being bombarded by every major VC with large term sheets. Uh, And and if we can get in early on the pre-seed round uh, when they're still figuring it out, when they're early in the program to say investor office hours and come in and write them a small check early on, we often get in at reasonable valuations and we help them get the fundraising started. They're happy to have us. We're happy to be in there. uh, And that's kind of the relationship we have with them. But valuations have been a concern.
1: Yeah, David, I mean, we've talked a lot about the pandemic and, and you've you've really outlined it well. I think that that early stage back in March, there was a kind of almost a quiet period, but things then got very, very active quickly as, as you all made the adjustment. I'd just be curious to see if there's any other insights that have kind of come out of that period that have impacted the way you look at, at companies. Right.
0: Well, the... Obvious takeaway is that business can be done remotely. There's absolutely no reason to meet in person. You don't have to go to a, to an office of a startup and meet the team and see their conference. You know, there's no point in seeing them in person. I mean, everything's. they're not even gonna have a server room. Everything's in the cloud. So really, you know, it was a good way to finally make a cold cut from the old practices. And that's yeah. never going back to, that's never, so that's a permanent change. Um, what I've seen from events that used to be in person, they're all trying to figure out the new normal. The biggest change is like, okay, how do we have the best of both worlds where we get the personal connection, be able to meet in person, but still do business efficiently remotely and get a more inclusive, be able to include people globally in our events. And they're all trying to figure that out. There's been so many attempts at hybrid Um, I'm not sure if anyone's got that figured out yet. It's still a work in progress for almost every organization. And a lot of them are investing in technologies that will enable them to more seamlessly conduct hybrid events.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I'm not, I have not been impressed. I, you know, early on in the pandemic, I, I toyed around with that space a little bit myself. And there have been a couple of firms that have raised quite a bit of money, in that area um but they're betting heavily on on really these kind of virtual worlds and this kind of metaverse activity which whilst sounds amazing is probably not ready for prime time in many cases you know in terms of you know many conferences not all conferences right yeah, it's probably no, a while topics. until we're
0: all comfortable in meeting in some virtual reality. Yeah, I
1: I, I I don't see that happening at like CES just yet. I mean, uh, but, but-, uh, but <laughs> hybrid,
0: hybrid is there. Hybrid's working. Uh, organizations are fine-tuning it you know, from event to event. I've attended several well-run hybrid events, whether I was there in person or whether I was the one that was remote. And they're trying to make it where the remote people aren't left out. Um, and... It, you know, that's where, you know, some simple tech, some inexpensive AV equipment uh, yeah. positioned correctly and having someone just be mindful to coordinate between the online chat and questions and all that to make it interactive where you get the in-person mingled with the virtual in a seamless way.
1: So, so let's kind of not talk about the far future. Let's talk about this year. Uh, 2022 really promised mm-hmm. as a year that perhaps... I think if you asked people last year, oh, the economy was going to be booming again, and and now people are talking about 2022 in a lot of different ways, you know, yeah. whether there's a looming recession. And I'd just be curious, what does this year look like for you guys?
0: Well, I wish I had a crystal ball. I'm not an economist, but obviously, none of us expected the crazy inflation or the war in Ukraine. So uh, these macro effects that are impacting the public markets are starting to impact some of the venture capital. I think there's some softening on the series A and B and beyond the pre IPO kind of series. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can see a trickle down, you know, if you're not gonna be able to do an IPO and get the kind of public funding pricing that you expect, then that has to impact the valuation that the later rounds are coming in at as well so that they can get the returns they need when their company does exit publicly. Um, and so there's some trickle down. At the pre-seed and seed round, very little has changed. It's pretty much business as usual. Uh, there's still, a lot, Those funds are all well capitalized from before. They have the money, You know, they have the dry powder to invest and valuations are about the same. It's just higher ups. I've seen several of our portfolio companies that say late last year were announcing that in q1 they were pretty confident they're going to go raise a large series a in q1 and then right as all these macro things happened, suddenly they were getting pushback and their deals weren't closing and they pulled three of ours pulled back they came back it's like you know we're not going to raise that series a right now we're going to hit some new milestones so we can really nail down the round we want because we're getting some pushback uh where we are today we thought you know Based on Q4, we could have done it. Based on where the market is today, we can't do it. And instead, they raised maybe a small insider bridge round and are kicking the Series A down to later in the year when hopefully the you know, climate's better, but also they get, it buys them some time to hit the milestones, which last year they would have not need to hit. And now they need to hit true milestones again to get that Series A funding. So you're starting to see at the margins some trickle down from what's going on on the macro and in the public markets, into valuations and underwriting in the private markets.
1: David, I mean, this has been such a such an insightful conversation. I I, I tell you, any any uh, early stage businesses out there, please please listen to David's words. But I mean, if any of those
0: folks want to reach you, where should they find you? Yep, yeah, thank you. So, um, emerging is the easiest thing to spell to find. Um, our site. From there, there's links to me personally as well. Under the team, uh, my LinkedIn profile's on there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Mandel Angel. Uh, I believe there's links to that from the Emerging Ventures site as well. So I'm easy to find on there. There's contact us buttons, which email me directly. Uh, uh, so feel free to reach out on Twitter, on email, on uh, LinkedIn, I try to respond to everything that comes in, at least with a short sentence, letting you know it's been received and why it might not be for us if it's not. Um, you know. And you know, our our fund, too, is nearing its final close. So if anyone's interested to talk to me about that, we're open for that. As far as startups, like uh, look at our site for more about our specific thesis and the investment stage. And if you think you have a startup that's a fit, just uh, send in your pitch deck, and I'll take a look and get back to you.
1: David, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. We look forward to having you back. Hey, thank you so much. Cheers.